You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hey, Refuge family. I'm really excited about this week's sermon. Um, I've been studying this passage and just thinking about how applicable it is to our situation. Um, I hope it's as challenging and as convicting and as encouraging for you as it has been for me as I've been studying and preparing. And so uh, let's go ahead and just get started with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for your grace, for your love, for your mercy, for your word that can speak into uh, any situation in any time and any place, God. And it becomes more and more relevant with every every passing generation. So thank you, God, for your word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts and change us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, recently, I was talking with uh, Kayla, my wife, uh, about uh, placebos. She was actually telling me that uh, doctors have started to use uh, placebo, placebos in actual med- medical treatments. And uh, I found it interesting. Uh, placebo is based, it's just a, a, they call them sugar pills or whatever. They're just, they may just be a, a pill that has no actual medicinal quality, but uh, but it can be helpful uh, with symptoms that are controlled by the brain, like like dealing with pain and those kinds of things. And so uh, so she was telling me this and I, was, I found that interesting. Um, so, but, but placebos help with... Um, they may help with symptoms, but they don't. They don't actually help uh, fix an issue. They don't. They don't make things better. They won't make a patient better, but they can help relieve symptoms. And I was thinking about like, what if there was a patient, uh, a patient who was struggling with cancer, with brain cancer, and and they found this pill that they were receiving. They didn't make, whether they knew it was a placebo or not. They found that this pill was helping them, and and it's so much so that they were like, "Man, I don't even need, I don't need the chemo, I don't, I don't need uh, the radiation treatments, and you know, we have this this surgery scheduled. I don't need that. I'm just going to stick to this pill." As we all know, that that person, if they just threw everything else out and they they just stuck with the the sugar pill, right? They that person would eventually die. You see, when we're in places of distress, when we're desperate. Uh, a placebo can relieve symptoms, but it will never it will never remove the actual problem. And when it comes to spiritual desperation, uh, you know we will all seek out help from wherever we can. We we will all seek out places, but but any place we seek outside of Christ, when our when our when we don't seek Christ with faith, whatever else is outside of that is a placebo. It may help with symptoms, but it will never actually save us. It will never actually rescue us from death the way that faith in Christ does. And the men in our story all seem to have some kind of faith. But only one had genuine faith. The man did three things that I think are really important that we need to pay attention to. He cried out to Jesus, he drew near to Jesus, and he worshipped Jesus. And these are our three points for today. If you want to test your faith and make sure you don't have a, a, a placebo faith, these are, these are these three things that I think we can do to truly see if we got the, this genuine faith that the Samaritan man had. Cry out to Jesus, draw near to Jesus, and worship Jesus. So we're going to dive into our passage in verses 11 through 14 for our first point. Uh, cry out to Jesus. So verse 11, 
While traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered the village, uh, the ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were cleansed. Their situation was actually really, really strangely similar to ours. They're on the outskirts of society and disconnected from community. In fact, they're between Samaria and Galilee. They're not in Samaria and Galilee. They're between them. They're on on the outer fringes of society. They are isolated. And I think a lot of us are in this place right now of isolation where we would understand this. Not only that, they're in this group of 10. How appropriate is that? Just thinking about what we're going through. And and even further, these guys are, are men with leprosy. And we know that at least by the third century, there were rules about uh, how close you could come to a, a person with leprosy. Uh, and, and one of the rabbis wrote that, that it, you know, no closer than four cubits. Do you know how close four cubits is? Six feet. So these guys understood the isolation that we are experiencing right now. And in fact, to a much greater extent and to a much worse extent, a much longer experience of isolation, a a much more desperate situation than we are in. And what does their desperation cause all of them to do? They all cried out for mercy. They all cried out for mercy. Uh, and and what he says in uh, in verse uh, thirteen, it says that with their they raise their voices saying, "Jesus, Master, have mercy on us." That word "saying" is a present active participle, which means they repeatedly did this. They continue to cry out, "Jesus, Master, have mercy! Jesus, Master, have mercy! Jesus, Master, have mercy!" Now, if you're experiencing physical, social, mental, uh, spiritual suffering right now, I would encourage you repeatedly cry out for mercy. This is what genuine faith will cause you to do. It'll cause you to cry out for mercy repeatedly over and over. And what we see is even though it says that they were at a distance when they are crying out repeatedly, Jesus, it says that Jesus saw them. And do you know that in your pain and in your struggle and your stress, in your distress, when you cry out for mercy, Jesus sees you. Faith calls us, it beckons us to cry out to Jesus. And during this time, there are, are surely some of us who are struggling with iso- feeling uh, isolated, secluded, feeling distant from people. I think a lot of us are experiencing that right now. And uh, for some of us, it's worse than others. Some are, are stuck at home alone, maybe even quarantined because they actually are, are, have uh, this virus that's going around. Some of them, some of you out there may be struggling with this for real. You may actually have the disease. And so you are all alone right now. You're in isolation. For others, you may have family or friends living with you. And so you can lean into those people. But even so, there there are people in your life, in all of our lives, that we want to reach out to and we just want to give a big hug. We want to embrace somebody that we love. And the reality is that the less we can do that, the more isolated we feel. 
And I would encourage you during this time, cry out to Jesus. Let your genuine faith drive you to cry out to Jesus. But not only that, not only were these men who we know they were experiencing isolation, not only were these men experiencing isolation, and and I, I know we are, but also a sense of feeling trapped. Some of us today are feeling trapped. Man, if you are in a single house with just a few kids for any extended period of time, you know what it feels like to feel trapped. Even even though we can go out on the street and take a walk and, and get outside, there's a reality that we can't go any further than a certain point, that we are, we are limited in our mobility. We can't go any further. And so we, there's this sense of feeling caged. And so even, even our, these men in our story, even, them, they, even though they're on the outsides of society and even though they can roam around and do what they want, you could surely understand that they would feel trapped. They couldn't go where they wanted to go. Stuck. Stuck with these other nine guys that they, they just, they're, they're there with, you know? I don't know if that's you. Maybe you're in a situation where you're like, I'm, I'm stuck with these people I gotta be with. But, uh, or maybe you're in a situation where you love the people you're with, but you're like, man, I just need a break for real. Maybe you're home from work and you're like, the only place I can escape to to actually do my work is to go to my room. And so there's this sense of feeling more and more and more closed in. And I, and I think that all of us are experiencing that and feeling that in this time. And what happens when, when we begin to feel this? We begin to get more irritable, get in more fights with our spouses, get in, in more fights with, with our kids. I become mean. I'm telling you this past week, I have been more sarcastic with Kayla uh, than, than I have in a long time. And I've had to repent for it. We've gotten, we, we just got in a fight today. I'm not kidding you. Like the, the isolation and the feeling of, of being stuck can really weigh on a, on a relationship and cause us to do things uh, that we wouldn't normally do. But it also, what it's doing is it's pulling out this stuff in our hearts that we need to, to realize is there. In these times when we feel isolated, when we feel stuck, cry out for mercy. Cry out for mercy. Man, in reality, uh, we, we shouldn't need a pandemic to help us cry out for mercy. When we first realized that our sin had separated us from a relationship with God, we cried out for mercy. But every day we need this mercy. Every single day we need God's mercy. This pandemic isn't uh, help making us need a new mercy. This pandemic honestly is helping us to realize that we need God's mercy more than we realize to begin with. There are sin issues and struggles in our hearts, like I mentioned, and those are just being pulled out by the struggles that we're going through right now. And so we need God's mercy even more daily, every day, to realize it. We're, we're realizing it now more than ever that we need his mercy. So during this pandemic, day after day after day, cry out for mercy. Let your faith draw you to cry out for mercy. But also when the pandemic comes to an end, Cry out for mercy that next day and the day after that and the day after that because we begin to realize how needy we really are during this time. Allow, it, allow this time to be a time that helps us to see our true need for Jesus, our true desperation for him, not just because we're, we're afraid of getting sick or not just because maybe you have gotten sick, maybe you're desperate for that, but, but because we, are, we, we need him to, for our, our growth, for our health, for our connection to the, to the life-giving God that we have. We need him every day. And so <clears throat> this reality, uh, the, the reality that genuine faith 
isn't the only thing that leads people uh, to cry out to Jesus. This, genuine faith isn't the only thing that's going to cause some people to cry out to Jesus. A lot of people are crying out to Jesus right now. People who are scared, who are fearful, who are hurting, people are crying out to Jesus right now. That doesn't mean that there is a genuine faith there. And as we saw, there were nine guys there out of the ten that cried out for faith as well, or cried out in cried out as well. But their cry was just a cry of desperation, and that was all it was. It wasn't a cry of trust. It wasn't a cry of uh, of true, genuine faith. It was a cry just of simple desperation. Actually, these nine guys are sim- a lot like, uh, make me think of of like Ricky Bobby in Talladega Nights. I don't know if, if, if anybody saw that, remembers that, uh, but in, in the movie, you know, this, this race car driver gets in this bad wreck, and when he gets out of the, the, the car, he's running around uh, screaming because he thinks he's on fire, and he's yelling, Lord Jesus, help me. And, and at first you're like, oh, okay, he's a Christian, you know. And then you realize, and he goes, uh, Jewish God, Allah, uh, Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, use your witchcraft to get the fire off me, you know. Like there's this this hilarious picture, but the reality is that these guys were all like that. They had that Ricky Bobby faith, that placebo faith that would cry out to anything because they were just desperate. Man, let us have genuine faith that doesn't just cry out to anything that passes by in desperation, but truly cries out to our Savior, Jesus. A lot of people are desperate right now, and a lot of people are crying out, man. man I, I pray that all of us would begin to cry out to Jesus out of a genuine faith, that we would look to him and to him alone. All these guys did that. All these guys cried out to Jesus initially. But this one Samaritan's faith causes him to go a step further, which proves that he's not just crying out to any anybody. Causes him to go a step further. He's crying out to Jesus in desperation, yes. But he goes a step further. His faith causes him to also draw near to Jesus. Let's look at this next point. Draw near to Jesus, verses 15 and 16. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. Before, when he was crying out, he was crying out from a distance, but now he is drawing near. He returns to Jesus, but he doesn't just return to Jesus at a distance. The Samaritan falls down at the feet of Jesus. He comes as close as he possibly can to Jesus. Where would I have gone if if I had been in his situation after being healed? I think about this reality. Like, where am I going to go after this this time of isolation is over, after this quarantine or whatever, after the social distancing thing is over? Where am I going to go? I, I'm sure I'm going to be looking for some gatherings of people. I'm going to be looking for my gathering of believers. I can't wait for the church to be able to come together and to be together with one another. I can't wait for that day. I can't, I'm excited about the day that I get to go and hug my mom, like actually see her in person. And it's only been a few weeks. These guys have been in this situation for who knows how long. And I, and I think... What would I have done? I would have gone and, and, and reached out to my mom, to my dad. I would have been found my brother, my long lost cousin. I would have been try to make have a big party. That's where I would have gone as soon as I was healed. But this man doesn't go looking for family. Doesn't go back into the town. He stays on those outer edges. Returns to Jesus. He draws near to Jesus. That's what he does when he's healed. 
man. And, and it's interesting because Luke points out that this is not just any man. He's not just on the outside of society because he's a, he's a man with leprosy. He's on the outside of society also socially because he's a Samaritan. Now, I'm sure many of you know uh, the situation of the Samaritans. The Samaritans were, uh, their, their ancestors were Jews who had married non-Jews and had begun to participate in different kinds of worship. And so Samaritans were viewed as people who had abandoned God, abandoned his word, his ways, and and they have turned to their own worship and their own word and their own ways. And, and so the Samaritans were rejected and viewed as outsiders of, you know, total outsiders. And so the interesting thing about Luke and the book of Luke and the gospel of Luke, what you have is, is three Samaritan stories. That, that doesn't happen in every gospel. You only, you only get one or two in, in, each, uh, in each other gospel. But in, in Luke, you get three. And what's really interesting is the picture that Luke is painting. And he seems to be doing this with his whole book, that outsiders are becoming insiders. Outsiders are drawing near to God. And, and insiders actually seem to be, be pushed outside, seem to be going outward. And, and what we see is the first Samaritan story is Jesus sets his eyes. He, he's about to go back to Jerusalem and he's trying to pass through a Samaritan town and they reject him. So the initial picture is Samaritans are rejecting. The second picture is, is actually um, is the story of the good Samaritan. If you know it, you know this. So this is this imaginary story that Jesus uses where the Samaritan becomes a, a good example to follow. But this is the third and, and final story of a Samaritan. And in this story, the Samaritan draws near. So we see, even from a narrative perspective, the, the, uh, the Samaritan people are, are as a, the Samaritans as, as a, a group in the picture of the Gospel of Luke, it seems that they are drawing, uh, for they're distant and they're drawing closer and closer and closer to Jesus. And so this picture here of him falling at Jesus' feet is a picture of someone who is as outside as outside can be coming as close as close could be to Jesus. Man, when we were dead in our sins, when we were outsiders to God, when we were drowning in our sin, disconnected from the life-giving relationship of Jesus, he invited us and drew us near he drew us near and we are invited to come closer. And so, man, this is, this is what we should be doing and what genuine faith should do, cause all of us to do. Draw near to Jesus. <clears throat> but uh, I, I wanted to share something. I, I sent an email out earlier this week um, with Chris Borland's uh, paper that he wrote. Uh, Chris is one of our worship leaders and... Uh, he wrote this paper and I thought it was so uh, appropriate, so applicable for what we're going through that I thought I had to share it. But I wanted to share a quote from this paper. I thought it was really helpful and really good for what we're talking about right now. And he said this, for we know that the Lord brought almost every great figure in the Bible through this kind of lonely wandering. And he's talking about in isolation and, and uh, being, being, being isolated and drawing near to scripture and God's word. And he says, Abraham sojourned into Canaan, Moses into the wilderness, Daniel into Babylon, and even Christ our Lord was brought into the desert to be tempted. And as we recall, each of these sojourns were the site of tremendous revelation and blessing. It was here that the, in the comfortless terrors of solitude where we were given the covenants, the promises, the commandments, the Psalms, the messianic vision, and the like. During this quarantine, 
many of us will probably have a lot of extra time. And if we're not careful, we'll easily turn our hearts and affections towards other things. We'll seek ways to distract us from this feeling of isolation and feeling of being stuck. Instead of, of, uh, of going to, you know, Netflix and, and other, you know, watching movies and TV shows instead, like first, before you do all that, it's okay. Like, yes, enjoy some good TV time, enjoy playing some music, enjoy doing, but before you do those things, first and foremost, draw near to Jesus. This is a season and an opportunity that we have to draw near to him in a way that we've never had before. We're stuck Honestly, we're here. Use this time wisely. Draw near to Jesus before you spend that time uh, on social media. Draw near to Jesus before you spend that time, you know, checking the coronavirus uh, stats and the and the stock market stats. Draw near to Jesus first before you go into all of that. Don't allow this idle time to become something that turns your affections or uh, comforts your heart with something else other than Jesus. Draw near to Jesus first. This is what genuine faith does. It causes us to draw near to Jesus. This is what it did with this Samaritan. On our, <clears throat> our, our faith will carry us through this time if we take the time to draw near to Jesus. And so this is something we, we've got to think through as, as we are going to take advantage of this time. The Samaritan doesn't just draw near to Jesus, though. His faith, his genuine faith, doesn't just call him, cause him to draw near to Jesus. doesn't just cause him to cry out to Jesus. Finally, he also worships Jesus. He also worships Jesus. Now, we're going to read uh, verses 15 and 16 again um, to draw out this final point about Worship to, to worship Jesus. Verse 15, it says this again. Uh, but one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned with a loud voice and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. In verse 13, we saw that the men, all the men with leprosy, raised their voices to cry out for help. Every one of them did. But here we only see this man raising his voice. And he, and he does it to give glory to God and to thank Jesus. In fact, uh, just as they were continually saying, have mercy, this, this man is continually glorifying God and continually thanking Jesus. In fact, that, that glorifying and thanking, those two words are also present active participles. So this is this continual thing. He, he, he comes falling at Jesus' feet and he's just like, Jesus, please, thank you so much for all that you've done. And he's glorifying, he's, he's like repeatedly, and he's doing it, he's raised his voice. See, with the same intensity and, and with the same uh, volume, with, with all that he has, with the same volume that he cried out because of his pain, the same, it's the same intensity for his praise right now. Is the cry of your praise as great as the cry of your pain? Is the cry of your praise as great as the cry of your pain? Because that's exactly what genuine faith does. When you realize that you have nowhere else to turn for salvation, when you remember how desperate you were, when you know who saved you, great praise will erupt. I mean, just stop and think about your situation before. Before you turned to Christ, you were dead in your sins, right? Jesus rescued us and we had no other way out. There was no other help that could save us. Jesus rescued us. 
praise should erupt from our hearts. If you realize how desperate you are and, and who saved you, you can do nothing but praise him. Let the cry of your praise be as great as the cry of your pain. But this Samaritan isn't just offering lip service. When Luke describes the Samaritan, he describes him as falling down at Jesus' feet. He's giving a picture of worship. Actually, the, uh, the most common word for worship in the New Testament uh, is a word that just simply means to, to lay down at someone's, bow down, lay down, prostrate uh, before someone or something. That, is, that, that word uh, means, that, that's, that's what it means, is to lay down, prostrate, lay down, bow down. And this is exactly the picture that Luke is giving, is that this man is not just worshiping God, He's, he's worshiping Jesus and realizing that Jesus is God. All of the Jewish people would have been able to worship God, their father. But, but man, this man recognizes, this Samaritan recognizes something about Jesus that is divine. And he bows down and he worships him. Worship is more than, than the songs that we sing, the things that we say with our lips. When we, it's when we bow down to Jesus instead of false gods. It's when we bow down to Jesus instead of power, no matter how much or how little authority we have. It's, it's when we bow down to Jesus instead of approval, no matter how many likes or, or how few likes we are getting on, on Facebook or Instagram. It's when we bow down to Jesus instead of comfort, no matter how easy or difficult our life feels. It's, it's when, uh, when we bow down to Jesus instead of control, whether our life feels well-ordered or in complete chaos. And I mentioned these, these four uh, gods or idols, power, approval, uh, comfort, and control, uh, because these are actually four idols that uh, Tim Keller identifies in, in his book, uh, Counterfeit Gods. And I would agree with Keller that these are, are the actual gods we worship. These are the four main gods that we really are looking to when we, when we look to the idols of like drugs or money or, or sex or, or whatever we're looking to for fulfillment. We're, we're, we're really turning to these gods power, approval, comfort, and control. So during this time where the future feels uncertain, bow down to Jesus. Use this time to identify and destroy, destroy false gods in your heart. I promise if you would do some introspection during uh, times of stress and distress, you will quickly spot your idols. Maybe it's a good time to read Keller's book right now. Go read Counterfeit Gods. Whatever you do, take this time to eliminate idols in your, and turn your worship to Jesus. Let genuine faith keep your eyes and your heart set on him. Honestly, it didn't take much introspection this week for me to realize what, who my idols or what my idols were this week. I mean... I, when I get frustrated that the uh, statistics on the coronavirus ha haven't updated yet, or when I get frustrated because my coffee creamer has run out and, and I, I don't have the freedom to go get the creamer, and even if I did have the freedom, it, the shelves would be empty. The fact that I'm frustrated about these things shows me very quickly that I, I, I worship the gods of control and comfort. For me, I know that and I, like, I had to repent this week, and I'm still like trying to work that out of my heart. But... It's times like these that reveal these things inside of us. It's times like these that reveal these things inside of us. So I would encourage you, don't waste this time 
Find those gods in your heart that you are worshiping and turn your affections away from them and towards Jesus. Worship Jesus. So let's not just cry out to Jesus. Let's not just just draw near to Jesus, but let us also worship Jesus and Jesus alone. That's what genuine faith will will cause us to do. Now, what I'm going to do is to close out our sermon is finish reading our text because I believe uh, verses 17 through 19 help us to see what is the uh, result of genuine faith. Let's go ahead and dive into it. Verse 17, then Jesus said, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told them, get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. All 10 were healed. But only this one man came back. Jesus ends this passage by saying, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. It was his faith that caused him to cry out. It was his faith that caused him to draw near. And now his faith has saved him. It was his faith that caused him to do all of these things. And Jesus sees all of these acts and says, this this is true. This is genuine faith. And it is saving faith. And it's interesting because this word uh, for salvation, to be saved, um, at the end here, is a word that could mean healed. Uh, and 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 so I think it's tempting for some of say this is why you you you're, you're now you're really truly healed. Uh, but what we see in our passages, there are actually three words for healed in our passage. Three synonyms. And these are the three main synonyms used throughout the the New Testament in Greek. All three are used in our passage. And the first one, uh, the first one is when he says uh, that that uh, the men are cleansed. That word could also be translated healed. The men are cleansed. Then the Samaritan sees that he is healed. And finally, in verse nineteen, Jesus, this, Jesus tells the Samaritan he, that he is saved. Luke wants to make it really, really, really clear that genuine faith doesn't just uh, uh, ritually cleanse you. It doesn't just physically heal you. It goes a step further. And this man, this Samaritan found salvation, true, genuine salvation. Man, don't settle for a placebo faith. Let genuine faith sustain you through this difficult season. No matter what you're going through, cry out to Jesus, draw near to Jesus and worship Jesus. I wanted to encourage you to take Uh, some time during our final worship song now to look inward. Look at your faith and how it is is leading you through this pandemic. Also, look at the possible idols in your life. Seek your heart. Do some introspection during this time of worship. And take the time to confess your sins and repent. Let this be a time to confess your sins and turn your affections back towards Jesus. Cry out to Jesus, draw near to Jesus, and worship Jesus. Now, let's take this time uh, of worship to search our hearts. After our final song, I'll give a benediction, but let's pray real quick before we do all that. Father, thank you so much for your word. It's so perfect for what we're going through to see these men who are in a, a very similar situation who could truly understand what we're going through, but who, who give us an example of what not to do and what to do. Help us to follow that Samaritan's example of genuine faith. Give us genuine faith today. Open up our hearts, open up our minds to you and you alone. Set, us, set our hearts and our affections on you. Destroy any gods in our hearts and our lives other than you. 
God, we thank you for today. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.